Okay, so it's a little longer than usual since our last talk, three weeks instead of two weeks, and I do apologize uh, those who uh, didn't get the message about last, uh, last week. But let's try and remember uh, where we got to in this series of talks on the divine message. Those who were here at the last talk, do you remember where... <laughs> What point have we arrived at? Yes. I think uh, yes, we, we did uh, speak about the catechumens, um, and <coughs> perhaps uh, fairly uh, briefly about the two litanies, so-called litanies of the faithful, which follow that after the catechumens theoretically, have gone for a walk. Uh, then the faithful uh, pray, and uh, main, the main action then is the, the great entrance, when the hello, <coughs> uh, the uh, gifts, uh, the prepared gifts of bread and wine are brought from the table of preparation uh, in this procession uh, to, the, to bring them to the altar. I don't know, were, were any of you here at the liturgy this morning? You were, yes. Um, well, that was a, uh, a very uh, splendid uh, liturgy of the whole uh, ceremonial of the Byzantine liturgy and six bishops and I, th I think I counted 22 priests and seven deacons. Yeah, it, it was something. Uh, but the liturgy is the liturgy. It's the same liturgy as if it's just one priest on on his own celebrate. Uh, and after that, we sing the creed and the symbol of faith. And I think we, that was more or less where we got us. So we come then to the central part of the liturgy. Uh, it's called the uh, anaphora. This is another Greek word which means uh, uh, lifting up, offering by lift. And for some reason, before I begin to talk about that in detail, I would like to just ask you, um, what is your conception or perception then, of what happens at this point in the liturgy, at this uh, central, between now and the, say, the communion? What do... The Holy Spirit. Yes. The invocation of the Holy Spirit to effect the consecration of holy gifts. But that's not... We don't do that immediately. What does what? How does it be begin? The priest come comes out and turns to the people and says something. I think you're thinking about the prayer at the great entrance, yes. But we've already gone beyond that. We've done that bit, yes. Alexandra. Yes, yes, uh, yes. So first, the, the priest uh, turns to the uh, people and says. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. <laughs> this is uh, a direct, actually, word, almost word for word, uh, what St. Paul writes in one of his, uh, I think more than one of his epistles, I think uh, Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we have 
mentioned here, are all three persons of the Holy Trinity, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even grace itself is an important uh, word, and we don't um, often quite grasp what, what is that. Uh, again, the uh, Greek word is uh, charis, yes, uh, from which in English we get uh, charism, charismatic. Hmm? So somebody's a charismatic personality, it means there's something radiating f from them that attractive in, in, in a way. Uh, yeah, in, in Russian, blagodat. Uh, can see Alego or Marina or Natalia unpick that. Blagodat, straight at that guy. That, that, yeah, combined of two words. Blaga, which means good, and dat, which means to give. So grace is something good which is given to us. Uh, and it is given, it is exactly given as a gift. We don't earn it. It is a free gift of God. But what it is uh, in itself is important. Uh, what does God give us of all? Probably the heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But actually he gives us himself. Everything and himself, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I, it's important to understand that because there is uh, a conception of grace which developed in the Western tradition as something uh, created, yeah, which God kind of gave uh, to those who were worthy for, for whatever reason, which is sort of something just helped uh, them, um, like putting you know, fuel in a engine or uh, and there was a big debate in the uh, discussion between East and West already after the schism about the nature of grace. Is grace something created or not? Uncre and the Orthodox uh, answer is very clear. Grace is uncreated. Uh, the great 14th century theologian, St. Gregory Palamas, the Archbishop of Thessalonica, uh, particularly uh, em emphasized this. He used the, the term the uh, divine energies. Well, it's part of a, a bigger uh, debate about to what extent uh, man can know God, human being, uh, God being transcendent, uh, ineffable, uh, and altogether beyond our comprehension and our, our being. But at the same time, he communicates himself uh, to us. And the most useful analogy is that of the sun. We, we cannot uh, contact the sun directly, because Papa uh, is 93 million miles away. It's also at several thousand degrees centigrade. But uh, it doesn't mean that we can have no experience of the sun. And we all know what it is. Light, warmth. And that is not, what we experience is not something uh, different from the sun, not something that the sun creates of itself, it's just the radiation of the, uh, of the sun. And so grace, if you like, is the energy, the divine energy which radiates from uh, God and of which we can have real experience. And so the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is that transforming uh, divine energy which uh, we uh, 
experienced through fellowship with uh, with Christ in the body, in His body, uh, the love of God the Father. God is love, as uh, Apostle John particularly emphasizes in Gospels and his epistles. God is love, and God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to us, believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Again, from John's Gospel. There is nothing sentimental in that love. That is a sacrificial love. Imagine those of you who have uh, children, uh, what it would mean to sacrifice your child for someone or something else. For us, almost unthinkable. Uh, Probably the closest experience that many people had, of course, is those uh, whose sons and daughters went off to the war, you know, to fight for the country, for freedom, for justice, uh, and in the process, you know, gave their lives. And the communion of the Holy Spirit, communion of the, in Greek, kononia, the, could also be translated as the fellowship. The, the It is the Holy Spirit who creates the church, brings the church uh, into existence in the sense of a body, a fellowship of believers, baptized people. When we enter the church uh, through baptism, we are immediately also uh, anointed with the Holy Chrism, through which we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which makes us uh, full members of the church. Yes, please. So he sacrificed himself. Well, uh, we use the word. Uh, the word God is used in two slightly di- two different senses. We can uh, and we can use the word to speak about uh, God as a as a whole or the uh, Holy Trinity as the the one God in three persons. But uh, more specifically. Uh, it refers to the Father. So uh, when Christ speaks about God, he's speaking about the, the Father, likewise, uh, very often in the Scriptures, in the Gospels. So when we say Christ is God, we are, we are not saying that Christ is the Father. See, it's obvious, because Christ speaks about his Father, my Father. He says, I and the Father are one, but one in the sense of united, not identical. Yeah, this, sometimes people get confused about it. Well, because they are indivisibly uh, united, just as you know, a parent, uh, when the child suffers, the parent suffers possibly more. So the act of uh, sacrifice, you know, Christ uh, enacted, performed, is actually an action of the whole Trinity, the whole Godhead. Okay, that's the first uh, verse. Then we come to, and this is a very, very ancient, uh, this whole part of the, the Eucharist is, is goes, evidently goes right back to the beginning because you find it without exception in all versions of the uh, liturgy. St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil, St. James, the Western liturgies, which indicates that it 
goes right back to the beginning. So very likely when St. Paul was celebrating the Holy Liturgy, this is how he did it, using the same phrase that uh, he writes in the uh, epistles. Uh, notice, though, that the people respond. How is the response of them? Ah, even, yes. So, and with thy spirit. The whole, uh, whole liturgy is a kind of dialogue, is, is a dialogue yeah, between uh, priests and people. Uh, let us lift up our hearts. Uh, at this point, something mysterious happens. Uh, it is this, difficult to explain in words, but uh, as if we step out of time itself, kind of tip over from time into uh, the eternal present, because the Eucharist, and we'll speak about that a little more later on, is uh, beyond time and space. There's really only one Eucharist, that which was celebrated you know, by Christ in the upper room 2,000-some years ago, but in, of which we become partakers in the here and uh, well, actually, not in the in the here and now in one sense, but uh, beyond time in another sense. Anyway, let us lift up our hearts. The whole of the liturgy is a is a sort of ascent to the kingdom of God. We already some time ago in the cherubic hymn said, "Let us now lay a, we who in the mystery represent the cherubim and sing the life creating hymn." sing the thrice holy hymn to the life-creating trinity. Let us now lay aside all the cares of this life that we may receive the king of all. Uh, so we uh, mystically uh, lift up our minds, our hearts, our attention to the uh, eternal kingdom of God, which has actually come down uh, to us. Uh, and the choir, the people, the choir respond, uh, again, slightly difficult to translate. Imamweko uh, gospodo in Russian. Literally, we have them already uh, to, towards the Lord or with the Lord. Uh, in English, we usually say, uh, we lift them up unto the Lord. And here, the most <laughs> powerful words, let us give thanks unto the Lord. Blagodarim Gospita. I probably already said more than once that the uh, word Eucharist itself simply means thanksgiving, the Greek, Eucharisto. Uh, and this, this is this, this from our side, if you like, the central uh, action of the Eucharist is uh, thanksgiving to God. Here, possibly the emphasis is a little bit different from the Western tradition, where it's very much uh, focused, at least in the Catholic tradition, on the uh, sacrifice. The Eucharist is a sacrifice, but it is, a sac again, from our side, a sacrifice of praise. Of course, we are not able for very long uh, to live outside and beyond the cares of this any more than 
I don't know, uh, a diver without uh, oxygen tanks can uh, uh, stay underwater. Or, to use another example, perhaps better, when you're climbing a mountain, you know, uh, there's only a limited time that you can stay at that altitude. But uh, you, it is not, in earthly terms, very long. The whole, and after I timed it once, it takes about eight minutes. You know, but it, it's not the point. It is beyond uh, and space, and we it, we have to. It's important for us that we focus exactly on what is happening at this point in the liturgy. Uh, we shouldn't be just dis distracted. Uh, it's not the time to be going around lighting candles and you know venerating icons and all the which other might whatever. But even apparent uh, pious actions. It's not the point. Stay where you are, pray. Uh, and here it's very helpful to have a good understanding of what is actually happening, what the priest is saying, what it means. Because you know, this helps to focus our uh, <coughs> attention. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> uh, then the priest, who this up to now has been facing the people, turns uh, and again faces the, the east towards uh, God and his uh, kingdom. It's the symbolic orientation. Yeah. Actually, the word orientation means uh, towards the east, from orient. Yeah. Uh, and while the choir, uh, the choir respond to, uh, let us give thanks to the Lord, uh, with the words, it is uh, meet and right to... Uh, Dostoino Hibravno, yes, to worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one in essence and undivided. And while the choir is singing that, the priest begins the uh, the prayer of the uh, Anaphora. Well, continues actually. The initial dialogue is the beginning uh, of the prayer. And I will, uh, let's just uh, read it. Through, because generally speaking, you don't hear this. The choir is singing, the priest is uh, reading in a low uh, voice, uh, because he is directed to do so by the service books. Uh, it says that it should be read, uh, but in Russian, taino, uh, in Greek, mystikos, from which we get mystically. Um, there are, uh, there's a big discussion about the extent to which these prayers should now be audible uh, by the people. But the, it, it's part of the, this uh, sensibility of the Eastern Christian uh, tradition to veil that which is the most holy, to expose everything uh, to ev everyone. It's a very intimate uh, prayer. But the priest, of course, speaks on behalf of the whole uh, people. So, and let's just uh, bear in mind how this relates to what we know of the uh, institution of the Eucharist. Just refreshing what it says in the Gospel. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread uh, and uh, gave thanks, blessed, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and apostles. Actually, in, and of course, this comes directly out of the Jewish tradition in which uh, the, 
things are blessed exactly by giving thanks over them. Anyway, the priest uh, says, uh, It is meet and right to hymn thee, to bless thee, to praise thee, to give thanks to thee and to worship thee in every place of thy dominion. For thou art God ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible, ever-existing and eternally the same, thou and thine only begotten Son, and thy Holy Spirit. Notice the uh, negative adjectives about God. Ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible. We can we, we can say positive things about uh, in human language. God is love, God, God is God, God loves mankind. But it's always necessary to remember that whatever impression, whatever concept uh, of God we uh, can have, can uh, in no way uh, contain or exhaust the reality of God, which is beyond all our understanding and our comprehension. So that's why, again, especially in the Orthodox tradition, this uh, negative, uh, don't understand the word in the wrong way, the, the description or characterization of God by the use of the negative uh, uh, Adjectives is important. It's called the apophatic way. Emphasizes the uh, the use of these uh, negative uh, adjectives. Uh, emphasizes the transcendence of God. God is above and altogether above and beyond uh, our comprehension. It continues. Uh, Thou it was who didst bring us from nothing into being. You remember the creation of the world and of ourselves. And when we had fallen away didst raise us up again, and didst not cease to do all things until thou hadst brought us up to heaven and hadst granted us thy kingdom, which is to come. Let's go through that carefully. Uh, God uh, created us from nothing, created the whole universe uh, and us in it. And when we, uh, when humanity fell away from God through the first uh, original sin, God did not abandon us. God did not abandon his creation, uh, but did everything that was necessary to raise us up again. Until thou hadst brought us up to heaven and hadst granted us thy kingdom, which is to So from the perspective of the Eucharist, of the the Anaphora, the work of salvation uh, is already complete. We have, if we read this literally, uh, already been taken up to heaven. We've already been granted the kingdom of God, and it says, which is to come. Yes, there's a paradox here. Uh, in, in terms of temporal sequence, it just doesn't compute. That's because we are already, in a certain sense, outside the temporal sequence. Again, uh, St. John Chrysostom if he is the author of the liturgy that 
bears his name, drawing very heavily on St. Paul. You'll find all this in Paul's uh, epistles, for instance, the epistle to the Ephesians, first book. For all these things, we give thanks to thee, thee, thee here is God the Father. The prayer is principally addressed to the Father, to thee and to thine only begotten Son and to thy Holy Spirit, of course. We do not separate one person of the Trinity from, uh, from another. Uh, we just to distinguish. We give thanks to thee for all the good things that have been done for us, whether known or unknown, whether manifest or hidden. Uh, we do not know the, by a long way the whole story of what God has done for us, either uh, humanity as a whole, or as particular representatives of humanity, as individuals. We don't even know ourselves fully. But we give thanks to God for everything. And finally, we thank Thee also for this liturgy. Uh, and remember the uh, word uh, liturgy, liturgia, means uh, a sort of common service, uh, which Thou hast been pleased to accept from our hands. Though there stand about thee thousands of archangels and tens of thousands of angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, six-winged, many-eyed, soaring aloft upon their wings. God has all the angelic powers, you know, who have no other reason to exist than to praise and to serve him. Uh, and yet he allows us you know, uh, human beings to participate in that. And this notion of... Uh, let me just continue. Uh, Soaring aloft upon their wings, singing, crying, shouting the triumphal hymn, and saying, What? Yeah? Holy, 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 Lord of Sabbath, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. And this, of course, comes straight from the, uh, from the Bible, from the uh, visions of the prophets, in particular the, the prophet Daniel and the prophet uh, Isaiah, who had a vision of heaven. God in, uh, <laughs> in heaven and the angels and so on. What does it mean? Is it like Father Joseph and Marie Savaoth? What does it mean? Is it like the name or is it uh, new something? Or like Father Joseph and uh, Marie? Uh, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. Uh, gosh, good question. You caught me at the Hebrew uh, word. Uh, but I don't, either I don't know or I've forgotten. <laughs> Exactly what it means. Well, that can be our homework to find out what does Sabaoth really mean. Uh, Heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna is a uh, kind of uh, a form of praise to, to God. Uh, remember, this is what they, uh, the children sang on the Palm Sunday on the, when the Lord entered into Jerusalem. Yes, Heaven, uh, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. It's very messianic. The, one who, the Messiah is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The priest continues, uh, with these blessed powers, that is the angels, or master, who lovest mankind, uh, 
we also cry aloud and say, Holy art thou and all holy, okay, thou and thine only begotten Son and thy Holy Spirit. Holy art thou and all holy, and magnificent is thy glory. So we have here the conception that in the celebration of the divine liturgy, we on earth are joined uh, together with the power of the saints, the angels and the saints in heaven, in one hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God. Uh, in this sense, the liturgy is celebrated eternally uh, in heaven. And when we, at particular times and places, celebrate it on earth, we simply become, uh, we are joined to that. The, the, what happens uh, on earth is simply an, an image of what is happening in eternally in heaven. Uh, and indeed, many, uh, not uncommon in the history of the church, for great saints uh, to have been granted the, a vision you know, of uh, so during the liturgy of the angels you know, who are uh, concelebrating, praising God together with us. This is not just you know, poetic language, symbolic. It's, it's real. And only if we had uh, the eyes to see, you know, we would see it. Indeed. So, can say that in joining the Like, yes, it's, it's, it's comes to the class, can get benefits from the class if he joins. Make an analogy mm -hmm. that the students, so we also receive this as a gift. We join it not because we are friends, we are joined. So, it's just like a student. If students come to the class, he get benefits from the class. Mm -hmm. If he don't come to the class, mm -hmm. he just the class itself still exists. But yes. that particular just don't get all the benefits. Yes. And yes. that's why he just come to the uh, taking coming with like, uh, is means that. that's why it's very important to be with us uh, as a result. In maybe not very clear. Okay. So, well, uh, yes, one does need to show up. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and uh, in time, we may say, in, in good time, not just to... Remember I said last time that, uh, that when the deacons uh, or the priest says, uh, the doors, the doors, yeah, in wisdom letters attend. It's actually the instruction to the doorkeepers to close the doors so that after that point uh, no one can come in or go out. Remember... Uh, The liturgy, the Eucharist, is essentially private. What do I mean by that? Uh, it is uh, the gathering of the family of God, the church, around the altar. But this is only for those who belong to the church. The first Eucharist was, uh, was celebrated in the upper room, no? not on the street. Uh, In a, in a, not even in the sort of the courtyard with people coming in and going, but in a private place. Uh, the apostles likewise, after they <laughs> uh, gathered together, and Jesus comes to them, the doors being closed. Uh, this is part, I think I mentioned earlier in one of the earlier talks about the, the, the boundaries of the church, necessary. In one sense, of course, the church has no boundaries, because Christ is not bounded. But in terms of the uh, distinction between the church and the world, there has to be a boundary. And it's a big, big mistake on the part of 
people who think that uh, everything has to be uh, uh, as open and <laughs> accessible to uh, anyone and everyone without uh, exception, because this judge disappears. Well, that's the whole question of language. is very um, important and interesting. I don't want to go, I think, into a long digression uh, on that, because I do want, at least in this talk, to come through to the end of the anaphora, but I don't want to evade the questions, so please come back to it uh, later. But, <laughs> again... Uh, let me give you an analogy that maybe is just as incomprehensible. When we paint an icon, why don't we paint it in a natural-looking way? First generation from Adam, why we love them, they our relatives, our soul knows. We don't know mm. them. Our eyes never saw, but our soul knows. Yes. And uh, our soul knows them in that uh, vision which they create. Yes. Something. And we, but change. Look, we, we change. We change. We change. Uh, Style, we change clothes, we change. But look, we now we can paint icons of people, uh, you know, who were uh, within living memory, people of whom we have even photographs. Take say, uh, Saint Luke of Simferopol. Yeah, we've got plenty of photographs of him. There are plenty of people who remember seeing him. But when we paint the icon, it's not like a photographic representation. Because it portrays something else, the spiritual dimension. And I think the question of language, uh, there's something similar. We cannot, we struggle in any case for language to convey much of the reality of what we're engaged in. Uh, but there is language in language. And I think it's not proper to use the language of the street uh, for such uh, sacred there are people who would radically disagree with that. We could have a very good argument. But again, I don't want to get distracted. The language has to be somehow adequate for what you're trying to con convey. When we start eating, we read in Why we don't say, like, merciful God, bless grapes, members of family, and give us food? Something like that, that is coming from church where we stay for three hours and after go to Christian family that we understand that every day use it, understand more, our children understand more, they become more preparing, that it's like moving a little bit in, in real Christian family life. Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to stop this now because I can see that a lively discussion is getting underway and that will completely sink my plan for this evening. So. Uh, but we will come back to this, don't worry. Uh, let us continue. Uh, okay, I'll just pick up again. With these blessed powers, O Master, who loveth mankind, we also cry aloud and say, Holy art thou and all holy, thou and thine only begotten Son and thy Holy Spirit. Holy art thou and all holy. Emphasis by repetition. And magnificent is thy glory. Who hast so loved thy world as to give thine only begotten Son that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Who, when he had come and had fulfilled the whole dispensation for us in the night in which he was given up, or rather gave himself up for the life of the world, 
took bread in his holy, pure and blameless hand, when he had given thanks and blessed and sanctified and broken it, he gave it to his holy disciples and apostles, saying. So the thought of the uh, focus of the prayer uh, moves from the glorification of God the Father in the Holy with the, in the Holy Trinity to the action, the sacrificial action of giving the only begotten Son for the life of the world. When he had fulfilled the whole dispensation, what does the word dispensation mean? Poroski smotrenia. Everything that had to be done. Yes, 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 yes. So God had a plan for the salvation of the world, uh, which begins almost immediately after the, uh, the fall, certainly after the flood. Uh, and the author of the epistle to the Hebrews speaks about that, you know. God, who in many and various ways spoke to our fathers through the prophets, has in these latter days spoken to us through his Son, by whom he also made the age. So Christ uh, accomplished everything that had to be done, by, uh, specifically by becoming incarnate from the Virgin, taking our human nature on himself, uniting it to the divinity, uh, being baptized in the Jordan for the sanctification of the whole creation, and finally uh, the cross itself. And remember, uh, just before he died, what does he say? It is accomplished. Uh, it's finished. It's done. Yeah, and then he fulfilled uh, the whole dispensation. Yes, and then we have the recollection of the uh, mystical supper in the night in which he was given up, or rather, uh, who was be uh, handed over. Yeah. Betrayed. I think in uh, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, we'll, we'll come on to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, saying, Take, uh, eat, this is my body which is broken for you for the remission of sins. In the same way, also after supper, he took the cup, saying, Drink from this, all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many and for the remission of sin. And in the Gospel we, we read that he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we repeat the actions. We do the same actions that Christ did. Uh, we say the same words, at least in general, in the, in the thanksgiving and specifically in the words of institution. This is my body. But uh, essentially there is only one Eucharist and he is the celebrant of it. This miracle when uh, we take uh, bread and wine and has some time, or it can be evening or morning, is it not important which time? Anywhere little she started, come to this time and it should be on the morning. The, the Eucharist has no uh, fixed time. Uh, we know that... Well, originally, of course, it was the supper, it was the evening. Uh, Early on, the practice became to celebrate it in the morning. Uh, Although, to this day, there are uncertain days the Church prescribes that it should be celebrated theoretically in the late afternoon or early evening, on on fasting day. The priest, uh, there are 
you know, we could spend a whole uh, hour and a half on just uh, one or two of these sentences. You know, depends depends how deep you go into. But the, what are the key concepts? Uh, the body is broken for you. In this way, Christ prefigures his uh, sacrificial death on the cross and explains its meaning, its purpose, for the remission of sin. Uh, the Eucharist uh, is a sacrifice, is the sacrifice, because Christ himself has connected it uh, irrevocably to the sacrifice that, uh, of his own body and blood on the cross. It's not a repetition of that sacrifice. The sacrifice is offered once and for all, and that's it. Unlike, say, the sacrifice, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. But we, uh, the Lord has uh, allowed us to become partakers of that sacrifice uh, at all times and in all places. Uh, drink from all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. What is the covenant? Either we say either the New Testament or the New Covenant. It's the novice of it. But what is? Do we understand what is the covenant? <coughs> hmm. But in 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 general, what is a, a covenant? Um, what is it? You might find if you buy a house, you might find that it has a covenant attached to it. An agreement. Yeah. It, uh, especially sort of solemn and serious uh, agreement, a permanent binding agreement. Yes? So it's more than a, a contract. And what is the, uh, the we come across the notion of the uh, covenant in already in the time of the Old Testament. And, well, there was the covenant with uh, Noah, that God would not destroy the earth again by flood. Set the rainbow as a as a sign of that. <coughs> it was the covenant with uh, Abraham, you know, where God promised that uh, through Abraham's because of Abraham's faith, uh, his descendants would be like you know, the stars of the sky, the sand of the sea. And there was a covenant in the time of Moses. And uh, the basic concept, the idea behind the covenant is. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Uh, you uh, follow my laws, you know, and uh, I will be uh, your God. And the central uh, idea of the comment is uh, faithfulness, fidelity. We may turn out and do turn out to be unfaithful, but God is always faithful to his word. But uh, this now is the new covenant. And it is uh, the covenant the, uh, in the body, and the, specifically the blood of the covenant. Remember, in the Old Testament, the blood was very important of the sacrificed animals because blood, in the biblical thought, is life. And life belongs to God. And uh, put it, the, the blood of the sacrificial animals was a, was a sign uh, of the covenant that had been established. But all that was only the prefiguration of the, the new covenant. That this, uh, the covenant also binds together the parties to the covenant, yes, even in secular law. But the spiritual covenant binds uh, God and his people irrevocably. And so the sense of the, uh, the covenant 
which is established by the sacrificial death of Christ is this eternal, unbreakable union between God and his people in Christ. And we become partakers, participants of that exactly through partaking of the Holy Eucharist and not otherwise. So, uh, mm. <laughs> not going to make it. Remembering, therefore. Ah, yes. Remembering, therefore. Remember, uh, in the text of the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, we don't actually re- mention the words of Christ, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah, but it's, of course, it's implicit. Remembering, therefore, the saving commandment and all those things that have come to pass for us. Uh, but this, again, this remembering is not like ordinary remembering. We are not just uh, remembering you know, this specific, infinitely important event that happened in Jerusalem on a Thursday evening, if it was a Thursday, 2,000-something years ago, from which we are separated by centuries. Uh, we are not uh, remembering the person of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, again, as someone uh, who lived 2,000 years ago, came into the world and then left it in the same way that we might uh, recall Pontius Pilate or Caesar. Or, you know? uh, this is a different kind of remembering. Again, the Greek word is uh, anamnesis. You, you, you know what uh, amnesia is, yeah? when you forget <laughs> everything. Uh, it's what you get when you get older. <laughs> uh, so, anamnesis is not literally is not forgetting, and it has the sense of uh, it comes back to I think to something like this: the the eternal present or the participation in uh, eternal. Remembering, therefore, the saving pug, and you'll see why this is not ordinary remembering when we just follow the text. Uh, the saving commandment and all those things that have come to pass for us. What thing? The cross, the tomb, the resurrection on the third day, the ascension into heaven. So far, so good. Yeah. All firmly in the historical past. The sitting at the right hand, being that Christ ascended to his father, sit at his right hand, uh, eternally in heaven, okay, uh, but wait for it, and the second and glorious coming. In the liturgy, we remember the second coming of Christ. <laughs> this is why I'm telling you that it is not ordinary remembering, yeah? uh, because uh, in our point in his history, time, uh, it is in what we call the, the future. But but from the perspective of eternity, everything is there. Yes. So, uh, from the perspective of the eternal kingdom of God, this is all accomplished reality. And because in the Eucharist we somehow, in a way that goes beyond our understanding, but not necessarily entirely beyond our experience, we step into that eternal kingdom of God, then everything appears in a different... So we, the, this thanksgiving is absolutely comprehensive, embraces the whole saving action of God from beginning to, 
to, to, to end. Now, at this point, the priest uh, approaches the holy table, which has just been standing before, and he remember the the gifts with bread and wine are already on the altar, the, the discourse with the bread, the chalice with the wine, and he then takes them, or the deacon if there is a deacon, and lifts them up a little, yeah, a foot or so above the the table. This is the uh, anaphora, the lifting up. And what he says is offering thee, that is God, specifically the Father, uh, thine own of thine own, on behalf of all and for all. This is such a powerful moment uh, in the liturgy. This is our the holy uh, offering. Remember, just before the beginning of that, the, the priest says, let us, or the deacon, let us stand aright, let us stand with fear, let us attend that we may present the holy offering in peace. So, uh, what's the question here? Uh, who is offering? What is being offered? Well, on one level, uh, what is being offered is a small piece of bread and a small quantity of wine. Something very simple, very humble. But we, uh, and these are our gifts, which uh, we have prepared. Somebody has grown the wheat, somebody has made the flour, somebody has turned it into the bread, the prosphora, the offering. Uh, somebody else has made the wine, and it's all brought uh, together at this point. But we say uh, we are offering not our things, our, thine own, thine own. So we are recognizing that everything is from God. God created the world, God created the, the wheat and the grapes and uh, the people with the skills to turn it into bread. And it's all from God uh, on behalf of all and for all. This offering is made uh, on behalf of the whole world. In this, uh, uh, humanity fulfills its vocation. We fulfill our vocation to be the priests of creation, to offer to God his own uh, creation, recognizing that it is uh, his. But actually, because Christ has joined the Eucharist to his own sacrifice, we are offering Christ. And who is offering? Well, uh, in the first instance, the priest. I think in the talk on the priest, we said the fundamental meaning of to be a priest is one who offers the sacrifice. But actually, there is only one priest. That's Christ himself. So the priest is standing there, lifting the bread and the wine and saying the words, but Christ is standing there offering his own sacrifice to the Father. The priest continues, Again, we offer thee this reasonable worship without shedding of blood. It is reasonable. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't quite so <coughs> sound right in English. Uh, well, let's try it in, uh, in Russian. Yeah? Uh, 
сио и безкровную службу. Словесную. Не, не, не. From слова. Yes. This. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, you know, uh, in uh, one translation, rather literally from the Greek, I think it comes out as uh, logical worship, which also doesn't quite sound right in English. <laughs> But it does get this connected to the word logos, Greek for word. So this worship is uh, connected to uh, the word, to the rational principle. And in this it's uh, contrasted with the worship and the sacrifice of the Old Testament, which was the sacrifice of exactly irrational animals. Uh, and this worship, this uh, rational, reasonable, logical work, uh, yeah, just doesn't work. Slavyesne. Uh, the, the, the worship of the word uh, without shedding of blood. Uh, and we ask, and we pray, and we implore thee, send down thy Holy Spirit yeah, upon us. And upon these gifts here set forth. This is very neat. It's not just, if we take the text as it says, it's not just the bread and wine that the Holy Spirit acts upon, but also upon us. We must come. Send down thy Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts here set forth and make this bread the precious body of thy Christ. This point the priest makes blessings with the sign of the cross. That which is in this cup, the wine, the precious blood of thy Christ, changing them by thy Holy Spirit. And the deacon says, Amen, Amen, Amen. And they make prostration. And at this point, the uh, transformation of the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ, is recognized as being complete. But we shouldn't think that it is accomplished just by the saying at this particular point by the saying of these particular words. This is a rather Latin conception. Uh, it is the whole liturgy, the whole of the Eucharist, which in which this transformation takes place. Do you know, the first one was the Father, the second was God and the Son. You know, actually the whole prayer is addressed to the Father. Yes? I mean, in sec- yeah, but I mean, the second part, thanks. We were... We were Talking about this and the third one, we just talking about the key <coughs> uh, Okay, let's let's come back. The the text will tell you everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Uh, come back to it. Again, uh, we ask and we pray and we implore thee, send down thy Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts. And thee, here is the Father. Now, it's uh, slightly complicated by the fact that in the liturgy of the St. John uh, Chrysostom uh, there is a, a prayer, it's inserted it's clearly inserted into the text at this point uh, and the prayer is like this O Lord, who at the third hour did send down thy most holy spirit upon thine apostles, take him not from us O good one, but re- renew him in us who pray unto thee, this is repeated three times if you see, you may see when it when the priest raises his hands high like that, he's saying this prayer. 
Господи, еще проседал, который вот только третий час, а после там не поставить, когда нас нет ими плаги, там новина смоняшится. And this prayer is clearly addressed to Christ, because uh, it's a reference to Pentecost, to the descent of the Holy Spirit. It's quite uh, clear. Christ himself says, you know, when I am ascended, when I go to the Father, uh, I will send you the, uh, the Holy Spirit. But it is an insertion. It connects the mystery of the uh, Eucharist to the mystery of Pentecost, because as the apostles received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, so we also in the Eucharist pray that uh, the Father would, uh, that we would also receive uh, the Holy Spirit together with the gifts. Uh, but fundamentally, the whole prayer of the Enoughra is clearly addressed to God the Father. So, if the action of the Holy Spirit in relation to the gifts of bread and wine is to make them into the body and blood of Christ, what is the action of the Holy Spirit in relation to us? Okay. <coughs> so, we're reflecting upon this phrase in the Anafra here. We ask, we pray, and we implore thee, send down thy Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts here set forth. Make this bread the precious body of thy Christ, make the wine the precious blood of thy Christ. What happens to us? Yes, yes, yes. Into what? Because some people, some fathers of church also say uh, church is not churches within our heart. It's not, a, not only building, but we are. And, yes. And, and in particular, so we transfigurate ours to be able to... I think we're getting close. Does God ascend to the end of life to become uh, Yes, in the part of the big picture. But look, uh, what do we call the church? Got it. Well done, Alexander. <laughs> we, by the Holy Spirit, in the context of the Holy Lit- the Holy Eucharist, are formed, made into the body of Christ. Yeah? This is really, really important. We are not a collection of 10 or 20 or 100 or 500 individual Orthodox Christians who are coming to church in order to have our Holy Communion and go off uh, to live our own separate lives. No. We come uh, together as the church to be made in, by the Holy Spirit, to be made into that body. Again, read St. Paul. He talks about this a lot. Living members of the body of the Christ. The hand, the foot, the eyes, the ears. Christ is the head. And we need to be uh, constantly, uh, yes, that's a good word, incorporated into the body of Christ. It's not something that uh, can be just done once, perhaps theoretically. They were uh, baptized, chrismated, received, uh, participated in the, the liturgy once, received the Holy Communion, became full members of the body of Christ, and then never in any way or shape or form departed from 
uh, God by any smallest sin, then maybe uh, that will be all right. Well, think of St. Mary of Egypt, you know, who received, went after her conversion, was 40 years in the desert, then Zosimus came, uh, asked her, she asked him to come back next year with the Holy Communion, which he did. And when he came back the year after that, she was already, she had obviously died immediately after receiving the Holy Communion and gone to hell. If you don't know the life of St. Mary of Egypt, to read it. But it's not our reality. We constantly uh, fall away from God. And actually we fall away from the church. And that's why when we come to confession, the priest, if he reads the full prayer, uh, says, uh, reconcile and unite him, her, to thy holy church in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this uh, reintegration into the church is sealed by the partaking of the Holy Eucharist. Very important to remember this, what we may crudely call the horizontal dimension of the Eucharist. We all more or less know about the vertical dimension. The, yeah, the God, uh, the Eucharist is our uh, worship of God, uh, God, if you like, becoming uh, through the transformation of the bread and wine in the body and blood of the Christ, and we're partaking of that, being united to uh, to Christ. But in that uniting to Christ, we are united to the Church as a whole. There's a, a prayer in the liturgy of St. Basil, which makes it very clear. He says, unite all of us, one to another, who become partakers of the one bread and the one so are partaking of Holy Communion. It's not only about being joined, united with Christ, but about being united with one another. And this dimension we're not so much aware of. It's why the main and absolutely strict rule uh, about who can uh, take Holy Communion, you have to be at peace with everyone. You can absolutely, if you have a lack of peace, a hatred or conflict, uh, with anyone that is not resolved, you're absolutely forbidden to take Holy Communion until it's dealt with, because it's a essential contradiction. Okay, oh, I think we're already out of So I think this is uh, probably the point to call it uh, an evening. I think this is another question which I'm going to park along with that of language because it's really much too late to get into all that. I really want to keep the very clear focus, uh, take home lesson is that the uh, Holy Eucharist, in the Eucharist we are become partakers, yes, of the body and blood of Christ, but we are thereby uh, incorporated into his mystical body, which is the church. It is true in me to bless thee who did spring forth, ever blessed and the most pure and the mother of our God, more honorable than the cherubim, 
incomplete more glorious than the seraphim. Thou who without defilement gavest birth to God, the word true mother of God, thee do we magnify. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and forever, and to the ages of ages. Amen. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Lord, give the Christ, our true God, of the prayers of his all pure mother, the holy, glorious, and all praised apostles, of our venerable and God-bearing fathers and mothers, and of all the saints, have mercy upon us and save us. For he is good, and he loves mankind.